So imagine for a moment that you are in prison and you have committed treason and murder and your punishment is death. So you're sitting in prison and outside of your prison window, off in the distance, you hear a crowd of people starting to chant your name. A moment passes and then you start hearing the same people chant, kill, kill, kill. And that's it. You know that your fate is sealed. The whole world wants you dead. Some time passes, and then a guard comes in. And he leads you out of the prison. And as your eyes adjust from the darkness of the prison to the light of the day, you expect to look up and see your executioner. But instead, what you see is that same guard unlocking your restraints and saying, you are free. To go. This is how Barabbas felt in Mark chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with me, join me starting in verse 6. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd and demanded the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with the lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Barabbas' name means son of father. That's what his name means. And he was guilty. He started an uprising and committed murder. He was full of sin and guilty. Yet the true son of the father, Jesus, took his place. See, Barabbas, while guilty, was treated as though he was innocent. And Jesus, while innocent, was treated as if he was guilty. 
And here's the thing. We are all Barabbas. We are all sinful. We are all guilty. And there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. And yet, despite this, Jesus willingly substitutes himself in our place. The true Son of the Father dies in our place so that we may become sons and daughters of the one true God. What a beautiful, beautiful story. At this point in the story, Jesus is beaten and he is mocked by the soldiers. And he is beaten so bad that uh, he has to carry his crossbar up to the place where he is going to be crucified. But he is so weak from the beatings that he can't even do that. And so the Roman soldiers, they force a man named Simon to carry the cross for Jesus. And the readers of this Gospel of Mark would have been reminded and would have been uh, reminded of Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 8, where he says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, while we're all Barabbas, we are also all Simon in this story. We all have to take up the cross, die to ourselves, and follow Jesus to death. It is only then that we gain life. Jumping down to verse 33. It says, At noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling to the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered a, another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him, saw how he had died. He exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. This Roman officer would have seen tens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of deaths. And he probably partook in those deaths as well. 
And yet it was this Roman officer who was the first to say, after watching Jesus die, surely this man was the son of God. It was a stranger. It wasn't one of his disciples. It wasn't someone who knew Jesus. It wasn't one of the religious elite or the religious leaders. It was a stranger that probably knew nothing about Jesus. But it was him who exclaimed first that surely this man was the son of God. Sometimes, having, growing up in the church and having a religious background, you get so caught up in your preconceived notions and ideas of who Jesus is and who Jesus should be that you fail to see the real Jesus. Sometimes it takes a stranger, someone who didn't grow up in the church, Sometimes they are the ones that see Jesus clearly the most. And at this point in the story, the religious leaders, they have won. They did it. This man who has been an annoyance to them for, for years now, they finally got rid of him. They won. This man who had consistently called them out on their hypocrisy and their wrongdoing, so much so that they wanted him dead, they finally achieved their goal. And they won. Jesus is dead. Or so they thought. Okay. Uh, oh, I think I've skipped the verse. If you, uh, oh, so yeah, Jesus is dead, and Joseph, they take him, a man named Joseph takes Jesus and buries him in the tomb. And the very last verse of uh, 15, it says, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. So that's it. That is the end of the story of a man named Jesus. Right? I mean, he is dead. He had died on the cross. All year long, we have been studying this gospel and have been reading about this man named Jesus, and he is now dead. That's the end of the story. That was the end of the story for the disciples. That was the end of the story for everyone who knew and loved Jesus. That was the end of the story for anyone who had heard about or even knew who Jesus was. People don't come back from the dead. But 
we know how the story ends, right? Or maybe you don't. If you don't, uh, flip over to flip over the page over to chapter 16. Starting at the very beginning, verse 1, it says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and I should have looked that up, Salome, went out and purchased the burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, uh, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us? From the entrance to the tomb. But as they arrived and they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too afraid. If you read that and followed along in your Bibles, you probably see a caption or a footnote that says that this was the shorter ending of Mark. And there is a longer ending. There's additional verses that come after this. And a lot of skeptics of of Christianity will point to this passage and say that that you can't trust the Bible because of this ending of chapter 16 in Mark. There's too many discrepancies in the Bible. The Bible can't be trusted. That's what a lot of skeptics will say. But we're not trying to hide it, right? As Christians, we're not trying to hide it. Your Bible says it right there that this is most likely the original ending of Mark. And here's what most theologians believe, right? Most theologians believe that John Mark ended it at verse 8. And it wasn't until later that a different author probably came and added a, a longer version, and some even added a longer version than that. And the reason why they believe that is because there's vocabulary and language used that John Mark didn't use for the entire rest of the gospel. And so it's unlikely that he would have used it in the last section of Mark. And the very earliest, earliest manuscripts that we have don't include (coughs) these longer sections. But theologians aren't trying to hide that. They've mentioned that right in the Bible. But regardless of whether you believe that Mark ends at 8 or it continues on, here's what we can know. If it wasn't for chapter 16, we would not be here today. If it wasn't for chapter 16, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we wouldn't be sitting here today. 
If Jesus' tomb isn't empty, Christianity is a lie. It's all false. There's no point in us being here. But it's not. Jesus was risen from the dead. He is who he said he was. He conquered death. He died in your place. He took on your sins and then conquered death. Jesus is the son of God. So why did John Mark end it in verse chapter 8, where he says, The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too afraid. Seems like a weird place to end this gospel of Mark, doesn't it? But I think John Mark, he was intentional with this ending. He was intentional because he wanted to invite you and invite me into the story. You see, the women in this story, they had a choice. They could either believe that Jesus was who he said he was and was risen from the dead and the tomb is empty. Or they could. Or they could choose not to. And just like these women had a choice on whether or not to believe Jesus was alive or not, you and I, we also are given that same choice. We're given that choice every day of whether or not to believe that this man that we have been studying all year long named Jesus was risen from the dead. And is the Son of God. So you're given a choice. Do you believe? Or not? And you see, believing changes everything, doesn't it? Believing changes everything because you would be a fool if you believed that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet you chose not to follow him. You would be a fool if you believed that Jesus took on your sin and raised from the dead. And yet you chose not to follow him and change your life and dedicate your life to him. But many people, they don't want to do that. And say, and so they choose not to believe, regardless of the facts. And so I end tonight with a question. What do you believe? Do you believe that this man named Jesus that we have been studying all year long is who he said he is? Or not. 
you're here tonight and you do believe, but you haven't committed or surrendered your life to him, there is nothing more than I would love to do than talk to you about how to make that happen. I'd love to baptize you into Christ's family. This wasn't in my notes. I'm going off script here. You know, we chose Mark because our spiritual theme this year is authentic. And there's nothing more authentic than studying Jesus and his life and trying to become more like Christ. And for those that are struggling and have questions, right, learning about Christ is what Christianity is all about. And so that's why we chose to study Mark this year. But here is my hope, is that if you have questions, right, that this, this year and this study of Mark has prompted you to dig deeper into the Word. Study Scripture for yourself. I've been reading a book and it's been talking about Christians who feel spiritually stalled, that they aren't growing in their faith. And there's been people that I've talked to here that feel that way as well. And then the book is saying that the, the number one thing that helps people get moving and growing in their faith is consistent personal study of the Word. And I think that's what John Mark was trying to get at at the end of verse 8. He kind of left it as a cliffhanger so that Christ followers would study and question for themselves. And so that's my hope and my prayer for you guys is that you'll get into the Word you will study, and you'll try to answer those questions that you have. You know, I've really enjoyed this study. Thanks for being here this year and going through Mark. I know we went through Mark pretty fast, and, and uh, we couldn't cover everything. Uh, and so go back and read it on your own. Let me pray for you guys, and then uh, we have another song. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your spirit that reveals truth to us through your word, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom in it. Uh, we thank you for sending your son. Uh, he, was, <coughs> he was rich. He was with you, Lord, but he became poor, became a human like us so that we could follow his example. God, we thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. While he was innocent and we are guilty, he is the one that died in our place. And we thank you for that. We thank you for him taking on our sins so that we have hope of redemption with you, Lord. Thank you for his resurrection so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is your son. I pray that we 
take up our cross daily and we follow him and we die to ourselves to become more like Christ, Lord. And I pray all of this in his precious and holy name. Amen.